We are all standing on the shoulders of someone. We didn't get to where we are on our own. God placed others in our path to help us, and we're standing on their shoulders. This is the Bible Studies for Life adult podcast. This podcast is hosted each week by Chris Johnson and myself, Lynn Pryor. Today, we're going to discuss not necessarily whose shoulders we were standing on, but who will be standing on our shoulders. Chris, good to be with you for this podcast. Thank you, Lynn. We are in the early part of this study on mentoring, investing in others. And, um, you know, when we first started talking about doing this study, I've, I was, I have to say, I was a little hesitant because I, I, I feel I have felt like that maybe that's a kind of a business concept that gets kicked around that, um, that we've tried to maybe baptize or, uh, find a way to, to, to Christianize what happens in, in other settings. But uh, the sessions that we have for this study have been fabulous to help us to see how, how true mentoring relationships played out in the lives of biblical characters. Uh, so today we're going to be looking at uh, Moses. We looked at Moses last week, but we're going to look at Moses more as a someone who is mentoring someone else uh, who will be that that next generation leader. Joining Chris and I for this conversation is Dr. Tal Davis. Tal is the executive vice president of Market Faith Ministries. And I really got to know Tal first through his ministry at the North American Mission Board. Uh, Tal, you were there 23 years in interfaith evangelism, correct? That's 23 correct. years? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Well, Tal, thanks for being part of this uh, conversation with us. Thank you. And Tal, you have, uh, I want to talk about a book just for a moment. Okay. Uh, you and Freddie Davis just released a book uh, in uh, what, February. Uh, the book's called Shattering the Truth Image, How to Share a Witness Across Worldview Barriers. Yeah, it's, it's Shattering the Truth Mirage. Ah, okay. I can't read my <laughs> own writing. Yeah. And uh, yes, it's coming out. Um, actually, it's uh, it's. Uh, it's already released, but I think you're going to, it'll probably be online to, for for sale uh, within the next few weeks. And so you can probably find it already on, on some of the uh, website, web uh, ordering places. So, uh, yeah. And um, tell me what the book's about. Okay. Well, it's basically deals with how, you know, as Christians, we, we, we want to witness, we want to share Christ and for, for most of us, we know how to witness, but it's usually couched in ways that people who have our own worldview are able to understand. That is, people who already have been in church or, or been in a, in a religion that has one God and everything. But what's happening now in our own society is that we've got a lot of people who don't share our theistic worldview. And so this book teaches uh, or helps Christians to understand how to break down those barriers between the worldviews. You know, there's, there's several worldviews other than theism. There's naturalism, animism, uh, and Eastern, Far Eastern thought. And those have a completely different concept of the way the world works and, and re what is real and not. So, you know, when we sit and tell them the, you know, a gospel presentation that, you know, which is kind of standardized, they don't have the foggiest idea what we're talking about. So we've got to find out where they're coming from first. And this book helps uh, believers to 
learn how to to analyze what people believe and their worldviews are, and then you know give some some principles for witnessing to people like that. Well, I look forward to reading it. Thanks. Thank you. Well, today we are going to be talking about Moses and Joshua, Joshua, uh, Moses and his role of mentoring Joshua along. And so what I want us to think about is this idea of, as we've, as I started this podcast, how we stand on people's shoulders, those who went before us, who's going to stand on our shoulders. So we can mentor and disciple those who come after us to look at this uh, encounter between Moses and Joshua and their relationship. We're going to begin in numbers chapter 27. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, go up this mountain of the Abering range and see the land that I have given the Israelites. After you've seen it, you will also be gathered to your people as Aaron, your brother was. And when the community quarreled in the wilderness of Zin, but both you rebelled, both of you rebelled against my command to demonstrate my holiness in the sight at the waters. Those were the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. So Moses appealed to the Lord. Well, may the Lord, the God who gives breath to all, appoint a man over the community who will go out before them and come back in before them and who will bring them out and bring them in so that the Lord's community won't be like sheep without a shepherd. We're going to uh, talk a little bit to be sure that we're we have some clarity about this experience. Um, Moses is told, "I'm going to let." God says to him, "I'm going to let you see this land of promise that we've been talking about, that I've that I've proclaimed, that you've been uh, leading the people to for all of these years, but you don't get to go in." So let's talk about why he didn't get to go in, Tal. Well, uh, if you go back to uh, several chapters earlier, when they were still in the in the in the wilderness, the people started griping about not having enough water, and so Moses prayed to God that they to show them or give them some water. Well, uh, what happened was that God told Moses to go to a rock and to speak to the rock. And when he would speak to the rock, water would pour out of the rock. Well, Moses was so sort of, I don't know why he did it really, but he, instead of speaking to the rock, like God told him, he went over and hit the rock with, a, with, his, uh, with his rod twice. And then the water came out. Now, God, that made God angry because by doing it that way, it made it look like that Moses was the one who had brought the water and not the Lord himself. So for that reason, because he disagreed with with or disobeyed the way God told him to do it, God said, you will not be allowed to go into the promised land. And um, he did say you'll be able to see it. And that's why he took him up onto the mountain of uh, Abarim, uh, actually up to the Mount Pisgah there in the Mount. Of, uh, and, and there he could look out for miles and miles and he could see the land out before them. But he was not going to be able to go in. That is a heartbreaking story. That just hurts my is, heart. Yeah. And neither did Aaron. <laughs> and Aaron didn't go in either, his brother, because he had disobeyed God with calf and all that stuff. So neither one of those main leaders were were privileged to go on into the promised land. That's why they needed a new leader. And yes, that's what I, I love about Moses's character in this situation. 
where instead of fussing and whining because he doesn't get to go into the promised land, his focus is on the people. He's focuses on the future. Okay, God, you need to set someone in place to take to go before these people, to go in before them, as he said, because the Lord's community, he didn't want them to be like sheep without a shepherd. So he is his heart is not on himself, but on the people he's been shepherding. Who's going to shepherd them next? Yeah, that's that's right. He uh, he was more, you know, he he had wanted to go. In fact, he had asked God to let him go in and God said no. And so when God said no, he realized, okay, now I'm going to die. Aaron's already gone. We need somebody else. And he literally prays to the Lord to find a person, appoint a man over the community. Find, you know, tell me who the next leader should be. He didn't want it. He didn't want it to be his choice. It wasn't going to be an election. It was going to be God's choice of who it would be. And and Tal, as you, as you read the will about the wilderness wanderings from the beginnings of Exodus, Joshua, who we're going to talk a lot about, he's always somewhere there in the story. He's either in the foreground, or oftentimes he's he's there, but he's in the background. And you come to this and. I think it's kind of obvious. Well, Joshua is obviously the guy to take the place. And I dare say Moses probably had that in the back of his mind, but he wasn't about to presume upon God. He said, God, you raise up, appoint a man to do that. And he sought the Lord's will instead of his own will. So the issue of next, the issue of next generation of the future uh, is really critical in this passage and has a lot of application in our churches. Uh, so there are there are a lot of churches with uh, that are graying, getting older. And, and there's some people who are holding on to leadership and won't let go. Uh, you're going to have to pry this out of my cold dead hands is <laughs> kind of the the imagery that we see in, in people's lives. And if we look at this example, uh, it's, it's incredible that Moses understands, you know, I'm, I am not the person and somebody's got to come on and uh, let's get the right. God, please give us someone who will lead the people uh, into the future, into the promised land. And we need to have that that same kind of heart like Moses had for for what's next and preparing uh, for the future. That's right. Yeah, we need uh, leaders in the churches need to be um, mentoring and discipling younger people, men and women, who will be ready at the time when they get to be to maturity to take over the you know the main leadership responsibilities. And so uh, I think that's the main, if there's any main point of this lesson here, that's what it is. That, and I don't know that Moses intentionally was mentoring Joshua. It just happened that way. Because like Lynn said, he was always around. He was always there. He was there when they had a battle against the Amalekites, and he was the leader of that. Later on, when, they, when Moses sent the men in to uh, spy out the land, Joshua and Caleb went in along with 10 others and only Joshua and Caleb came back with the right, with the right uh, decision, which we ought to go on in. And, and so um, no, and, and for that reason, nobody else of that whole generation was allowed to go into 
the promised land except J Joshua and Caleb. So if, again, for, maybe for that reason, he was the natural choice because he had been there the whole time. He had been with Moses and now with the things ready to go, you know, at this point, um, he would be the one to, to take over. But again, like Lynn said, it, it was going to be jo God's choice, not Moses. And as we come to the next verses, we see it was God's choice to choose Joshua. Let me pick up in verse 18. The Lord replied to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man who has the spirit in him, and lay your hands on him. Have him stand before the priest, Eleazar, and the whole community, and commission him in their sight. Confer some of your authority on him so that the entire Israelite community will obey him. Tal, you mentioned um, the the introduction to Joshua in um, Exodus 17, where uh, Joshua and her stand and hold uh, Moses' arms up uh, so that they're victorious in battle. Great story there. Well, it was it was Aaron and oh, that's and right, her that held up the arms. Joshua, Joshua's dead. Was he was down in the battle? He was doing the leading. Yeah, that's so. Yeah, and that was. You know, as long as he kept his arms up, the battle was going to go good. If he got tired, he was, you know, they would start losing. So uh, Aaron and her just went over and held his arms up and while Joshua was leading the men. Sal, you also mentioned that uh, uh, Moses, that J Joshua was there when Moses, uh, as Moses ascended into uh, the uh, Mount Sinai, that he was the one that uh uh, was uh, assistant to, to Moses as the laws given uh, at the tent of meeting where God would go and have these face-to-face -face encounters with Moses. Joshua was always standing guard. Um, so uh, he has a rich history of seeing God at work and how God worked through Moses, had a lot of respect, I'm sure, for Moses. I'm sure they have a lot of of uh, sidebar conversations talking about the things that had been that have been going on where that he got to witness but uh like lynn like you said he wasn't like the lead actor or the lead character in the story he was just in the background uh uh in all of these key events uh in israel's history it is interesting how the lord described joshua in this in this setting where he says okay set joshua aside because he is a man who has the spirit in him. It, it was obvious God was at work in him and through him. And so that's, uh, Lord said, look, I, I'm with him. He's the one to choose. But I want to, I want to raise the question here. It says, and lay your hands on him, have him stand before the community and commission him in their sight. Now, what would you, how would you describe the significance of Moses laying his his hands on Joshua in the sight of community of the community. What was that communicating? Well, I think it was uh, telling the people that, you know, sort of officially um, acknowledging what God had already told him. And now by doing this uh, and having the priest, having laying his hands on him and having the priest who was Eleazar there with him, it was like telling the people, now, listen, from now on, the man you're going to listen to is Joshua. Joshua will be the new leader. And I think that's an important sort of principle for, for, for one thing. It made, it gave the people the knowledge that Joshua, that God through Moses had made this decision 
but also by using Eliezer, who's the priest, it sort of uh, solemnized the importance of this event. So it was it was kind of an official, um, uh, you know, maybe to use a modern nation, you might say, of, of Joshua to be the leader of the people, and they were going to follow him. It's a passing of the torch. It's a, um, again, a visual of just as God was with Moses, God will be with Joshua and, and Joshua will speak for God like Moses spoke for God. I think all of that's inv involved in there too. I like how it's God had empowered Joshua. His spirit was on him, but in the sense in that symbolic sense, also Moses empowered him by just the uh, doing what God said, uh, confer uh, some of your authority on him. And they're in the presence of the people. Uh, Moses, uh, Joshua was empowered in that sense. Yeah. He gave him sort of a provisional authority. He didn't give him the entire authority just yet. I think that would happen when he was gone. But at this point, he's telling them now, Mo, but Joshua is going to take over. And so you need to start listening to him. I do think that public affirmation is important, not just for Joshua, but for anyone being uh, being put in a position of leadership, whether it's pastoring a church leading a Sunday school group, a small group Bible study, uh, that that's the community, the, the body is affirming this person is going to take on this role. We do that with deacon ordination. We do that with um, commissioning services where we're sending people um, on, on mission uh, for the Lord. And not just full-time missionaries, but even in uh, the churches that I've served, uh, when we've had people go on short-term mission trips, we've, we have practiced that where we gather around these people and lay hands on them and say to them, you know, we are sending you, we, we are supporting you, we are for you, we are encouraging you, we're going to pray for you. And uh, th this model that we have with Moses doing this for, for Joshua, I think influences um, all of the, these things that we do in our churches, even today. And I, I, it's valuable that we do that with major roles of leadership as pastors, deacons, those on missionary trips. But I also think of Bible study leaders, those who, those who are leading a group of kindergarten kids in Bible study. They are there laying a foundation of God's God's love, God's uh, Jesus telling who Jesus is. That is significant and that is important. And I, I think it's wonderful for us as churches to publicly affirm them, not that, hey, we finally got someone to take on the two-year-olds, but to let them see we have this person who is investing their life in your children, even as two-year-olds, to help them begin to see God loves them. I think we should publicly affirm a lot of those. And that's certainly what happened here. Okay, so I get to do this just because we're, we're, we're doing this podcast together. Uh, I think of the people who taught and trained my my kids when they were uh, preschoolers and and uh, children's ministry and then uh, kids ministry, uh, student ministry. Um, so I am going to say the name of Liz Cremines. Liz Cremines was one of those persons that was called by God to teach three and four year olds and they learned to love the Lord. They loved, learned to love God's word. And uh, so this is my shout out to Liz Cremines today. Yeah, I think we all have uh, people who we could look back with and say, uh, you know, that person really made an impact 
uh, on my life and my ministry. Yeah. And I want us then in turns to think about who we can impact and encourage by our own words to say that. Not just, again, to say, would you teach the one-year-old? No one else will do it. But whether that we affirm, we see God's hand on them. Uh, we see they would be skilled. They would be gifted in working with the children, with, with the fourth graders. They would be gifted. And to affirm not just their willingness to do it, but they've got an ability there that uh, God could use. Uh, you know, we can all speak in our own lives of how that has influenced us when someone said, I see a gift in you in this area uh, and the impact that has on us. Let me take us to verse 21. Uh, I want us to see how Moses publicly affirmed Joshua. Uh, he will stand before the priest, Eleazar, who will consult the Lord f- for him with the decision of the Urim. He and all the Israelites with him, even the entire community, will go out and come back at his command. So Moses did it. The Lord commanded him. He took Joshua, had him stand Eleazar and the entire community, laid hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord had spoken through Moses. I think one thing that's kind of interesting in this section here that, uh, it, that though Joshua was taking Moses, a, a leadership position, he didn't have quite the same access to the Lord that Moses did, because in this case, it says that he has to go and he will work with Eleazar, the, who was the high priest, who was the son of Aaron, and um, that together they would consult the Lord through the use of the Urim, which was kind of a, I don't know what it was. They don't know exactly what that was, but it was some kind of a way of, of, um, defining divining God's will and that when when God when they got God's will then they would go and and give the give the decisions to the people and the people were expected to to follow them and then he of course they did they did that they Joshua went it kind of tells us here that they followed what God told them to do they took Joshua before the people they prayed over him they laid hands and then um Eliezer commissioned him before the whole people, and and uh, from then on, or at least until when Moses passed, they knew Joshua was going to be the one. So, this Bible study is one that we might think of more apl- applicable to older adults. You know, we're thinking of who's going to take my place, who's going to follow after me. But I want all of us, regardless of our age, regardless of what generational group we fall in, to always be thinking about who can I be mentoring? Who 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 can will be coming behind me and start investing in those people now? We can all be a Moses. There's a Joshua out there. We can be a Moses too, just to affirm them. One of the questions that we ask that follows up with that nicely, Lynn, is how can we encourage others to fulfill God's calling in their lives? So uh, I think for adults, um, we we need to, to see the gifts and the abilities and others give affirmation to that and give them opportunities to use their gifts. And we can have an important part in influencing the next generation as we encourage leaders to step up and take uh, responsibilities in the church. Sam Crouch, who wrote the study, 
he concluded his Bible study and the personal study guide with a rather sobering thought for me. Every church is just one generation away from extinction. If we don't disciple others, mentor them, and walk alongside them in service, what will happen when we are gone? Wow. We have a, we have a privilege and an opportunity to be mentoring and discipling and affirming others at the beginning of this, Tal, we talked about the fact that you wrote the advanced uh, uh, study uh, for this piece. And uh, I told you that I was impressed with a feature of the advanced commentary, uh, excuse me, la- the advanced study that's called Lasting Truths. It's a summary and an application. So uh, share with us a few of the lasting truths uh, that, that uh, came out of uh, this particular session. Well, uh, one would be that Christians should always be ready to accept the time when, when that will inevitably come when the mantle of leadership will need to be passed to a new generation. And that's something like, I know my generation, it's time for people younger than us to go ahead. Uh, and we need to have, churches need to pray very, very strongly for who those leaders will be. And, uh, and as Lynn said, find, call people out who have the gifts that they need. And, and then once they've kind of made whatever commitments they make, they need, we need training. Christians need to be discipled. They need to be trained uh, to go forward in the leadership, uh, you know, group potential that they have. And then also churches need to be willing to confer authority on them. Uh, you know, that when they call a new pastor or a new whoever, Sunday school teacher, or whatever, Bible study teacher, then they need to have the authority to lead the group and uh, let them be what God is calling to be. And so churches need to be looking for those new leaders. And, and the church needs to be publicly, I, I say, invested in those people, those, those positions uh, for the importance of the church. And then show confidence, show how confident they are in those people and, and give them the, and be willing to, to follow their leadership and go forward. Very good lasting truths to build off this idea that we are to mentor and disciple those who come after us. Tal, thanks for joining us for this podcast. Enjoyed it. Thank you. All anytime. I, I do value the words that you've written in the advanced Bible study. Uh, as I lead a group each week, uh, advanced is one of the last things. It's one of the key elements. That's uh, kind of the icing on the cake for me as I finish my preparation. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We're delighted that uh, we can provide this and, and hope that it's been beneficial to you. 